Welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. One of the things I've noticed is that this isn't just something that God's doing in the church, this whole revelation of the Father. I really believe it's one of the major things He's doing in the world. You know, that's just a couple of movie examples of relationships with dads that are a bit screwed up. <laughs> and the desire for love to be loved and touched and held in a... In a, with affection and when you think about other movies the movie Taken with Liam Neeson if you've seen that you know, his, da- his daughter's lost and he goes across, halfway across the world to bring her home think about Finding Nemo I mean think about the, the basic story of that is a little boy who disobeys his dad and gets lost and his dad tra- travels across the oceans to bring him home you see, this, this is what's happening in the world today. It's just that the world don't know who this father is that they're looking for. And it's, you know, we've had the revelation of Jesus through the Reformation and, and then the missionary movement of the Moravians and everything else. Then we had the revelation of the Holy Spirit at the end of the 19th century through the 20th century. And now we're in a time when we have this revelation of the father. And it's not different dispensations like that was the age of Jesus, that was the age of the Holy Spirit, this is now the age of the Father. That's not what I'm talking about. It's it's like everything we've forgotten, everything that the early church had that we lost through the Dark Ages and and Middle Ages and everything else, it's like he's restoring Trinitarian faith again. And this revelation of the Father and his love is like the final piece of that. It's It's not something being discovered, it's, it's something old being recovered in this age you know, it's not that um, <clears throat> no one ever knew this and now God's revealing it for the first time it's that everyone forgot this and we got into all sorts of religious nonsense and we thought that just like Israel, if we did all the religious stuff like they thought if they keep the law that somehow we would see something of the kingdom of God <clears throat> I mean the Jews believe today still that if every Jew living in Israel keeps the law for 24 hour, one 24 hour period Messiah will come back and it's almost like we've got the same kind of rituals you know if we do this certain kind of thing then revival will come you know and we, we quote 2nd uh, Chronicles 7 now if my people who are called by my name will pray and that's nonsense sorry if, you, if you're into that you know prayer meetings for revival but they're, they're, they're a load of rubbish guys they don't work we've been doing it for centuries and it, it hasn't worked yet you know revival's not something that we cause by our prayers it's something that God does sovereignly and he's never if you look through the scriptures and through history he's never done it the same way twice Never. And so what, whatever revival comes, whatever it looks like, I think it's going to come through this revelation of the Father finally bringing about a full revelation of the Trinity. And that's what, I believe that's part of what he's doing in this, in this time that we live in. You know, and I, I used to think it would be great to live when Jesus was standing in the boat out, out in the water and preaching to the crowds or when he was multiplying the fish and the loaves. But actually... This is a really exciting time in history to live. It's almost like, I don't know if it will be in my lifetime, but it's like we're coming to a culmination of, of 
of what God's been doing in history. As he's preparing the world for a fuller revelation of himself. <clears throat> Restoring that full revelation of who he is. He's not just Jesus, he's not just the Spirit with, with gifts, but he's Father, Son and Spirit. He's love, he's power, he's encouragement, he's all of those things. And I'm just so excited about living in this time when he's doing that, that I get to see some of it and I get to take part in a little bit of it. You know, this revelation of the Father is not the only thing he's doing in the world. <coughs> Excuse me. But it is one of the major things he's doing. And I'm just so excited I get to be a part of it. It's awesome. And we, we looked at, at forgiveness and stuff yesterday as part of our journey into, into sonship. And the whole thing of letting go and cancelling the debts. And it's just, you know, remember guys, this is a process. It's not that suddenly the pain goes away or the wounds are instantly healed. And there are times when we need to be just be present with the pain. That we need to just walk the journey with that pain. Not run away from it, not try and kill it with whatever comforts we, we use for ourselves. But to allow love to come to us in the place of our pain, in the place of our brokenness, and let love touch us in that, in that place of brokenness and pain. And it's not an easy place to be in. It's not. You know, I shared a little bit of my journey, my story, and all the pain coming up and coming out. And, and it wasn't that I lay in those chairs in Toronto and it was gone after a couple of hours of prayer. I had to walk through quite a, a period of time with that pain. And the temptation was always to try and cover it up, you know, have an extra couple of whiskeys and all that kind of stuff. But, but to live with it and be present in it um, although it's, it's painful there's something precious in it too to know that he comes to you in that place of your pain and your brokenness and sits with you and so part of that process for me was when someone put their arms around me and said John can you be a little boy who needs to be loved and they just prayed Father let my arms around John become your arms and he poured his love into my heart you know, I, I didn't think anything had happened when he put his arms around me because that, I didn't feel anything. I didn't have like a big experience or, or shivers up my back. I didn't fall on the ground or any of that kind of stuff. And James Jordan, who was teaching that session like I'm, I'm doing here, he said, you know, when Jack Winter prayed for me back in 1979, I didn't feel anything. And when he said that, I thought, but I can see you carry this. And that really encouraged me. So I, 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 just, I just believed, God, I think you did something when he prayed for me. Because one of the things we, in Christianity is we struggle with the, this idea of, have I got it yet? <laughs> As though it's some, you know, yeah, for some of us, it's a, a blinding flash of revelation that comes. For some, it's more of a gradual dawning realization. And both are, are equally as valid. We think that because we've not had an experience, nothing has happened. Because we've been conditioned in church to look for a feeling, to look for an experience. But actually, we receive by faith. I didn't have an experience, I didn't have a feeling. But what Father did in that instant was he began to pour his love into my heart. In that instant when I said, yeah, I can be a little boy who needs to be loved. 
that was part of the process of me opening my heart, enabling him to, to pour his love in and me to begin to receive that love and receive it by faith initially. Now, sometimes I do get feelings and emotions, not all the time. But he began to pour into my heart all the love I had ever needed. All the love I didn't get as a, a little boy, as I didn't get as a, a youth or, or even as an adult. And even now, he, he's pouring his love into my heart. That's the promise in Romans 5, isn't it? It says, hope does not disappoint us because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So the fact is, the love of God has been poured out upon you. It's whether we can come into a place where we are aware of it and live in the consciousness of that and walk in the experience of it. It's not whether he will love you, it's whether we can receive that love that's the question. And so he, he gave me all the love I've ever needed. He's still doing that. It's not a one-off thing. You know, when Jesus at his baptism heard the Father say, this is my son whom I love. That wasn't a one-off thing. Way back when he was 12, he said he must have known something, heard something, because he called God his Father. And no one called God Father in those days. You know, when he went up the mount and met with Moses and Elijah, the voice came from the cloud and said, this is my son. Listen to him. So for Jesus, it was an ongoing experience. And what he wants for each of us is to walk in an ongoing experience. You know, I don't want to be sitting here today talking about what he did to me in 2005. But the fact is that he was speaking to me and calling me son today. It wasn't an experience I had 11 years ago. It's an experience I had this morning. And that's, that's for me, it's the wonderful thing about this. It's not, you know, I get baptised in the Holy Spirit back then. You know, I heard him call me son back then. But actually, it's an ongoing relationship and experience of walking with him. You know, I shared how I'd struggled with all the questions. You know, if, my, if God's good, why did my dad get ill and die? And, and when he began to love me like that, the questions stopped. They've never, they've never been answered. But the questions are just irrelevant. They don't matter anymore. Because really, answers weren't, weren't what I needed. Love was what I needed. And in the impartation of love into my heart, he, he actually imparts something of himself. You know, because God is love. And when he breathed life into Adam's nostrils, he breathed something of his own being into him. And so when he pours his love into our hearts, he's actually imparting something of himself into you and me. And that, 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 ex that initial experience and that ongoing experience is, is consistently just changing my life <coughs> all the time. Down the wrong way. <coughs> and, and what happened was I, I came into a relationship with God being a father to me. Up, up until then he'd been the master. I, I wanted to be his servant. But suddenly I realised that's not who he sees me. He's my father. And I, I suddenly, I'm reading the scriptures differently. I, I remember reading in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. It says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who are inheriting salvation? I thought, wow. I'm not a servant. I'm one who is being served by the hosts of heaven. Now, we don't, I don't command the angels 
the psalmist is quite clear when he says, he commands his angels on your behalf. But I'm not a servant. It's like I'm sitting with my feet up and the Lord is saying, Gabriel, go and, go and comfort John. Go and, go and make that happen for John so that he doesn't have to do it himself. That's amazing. The angels are ministering spirits sent to serve us who are inheriting salvation. Wow. And so I began to see things very different. Different, sorry. All of the stuff I missed out on as a little boy, he began to restore to my heart. The fathering. Because the reality is what happened to me growing up, it wasn't fair. What happened to you growing up wasn't fair. No question about it. There are st- there's things that happened to you that weren't right. But there's nothing we can do to change the past. What he does with his love is he comes and changes what the past has done to us. The damage it's done, the pain it's caused, the wounding it's, it's left. And he promises in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 18, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. He doesn't say, I will be your father. You know, it's not, it's not a Star Wars moment. You've seen Star Wars? Where, you know, Luke, says, Luke Skywalker says to, to Darth Vader, you killed my father. And he says, no, Luke, I am your father. But actually he's not. He's just the guy who gave him life. But he's not been a father to him. He's not been there. He's not held him. He's not loved him. He's not nurtured him. He's not raised him up. He's not taught him anything. And God's saying, I, that's not the father I am. I will be a father to you. I will be present with you. I will give you the things in your heart that your heart has never known. Or that your heart has been deprived of. And there's a big difference in in having God being a father to us and just conceiving of him as a father up there somehow and and comparing him to our earthly biological fathers. Because when I first heard about this revelation, I thought, God's a father, yeah, whatever. My my dad was just a guy in a bed who did nothing for me, who gave me nothing. So, God being a father, just no, no reaction from me whatsoever. I just carried on living that orphan life, even as a believer. Because fathers don't do anything for you. Fathers don't give you anything. But God is saying, no, John, that's not the kind of father I am. I'm one who comes up close and personal and brings to your heart all that you've been missing. You know, for many of us, we've had a man in the house that may have been dad, or maybe we didn't have a man in the house. But I think for many of us, our common experience is that we've not known what it is for a man to to look us in the eye and say, with affection, to you know, I'm glad you're my son. You know, you're my beautiful princess. We've not had that experience. To have him look us in the eye and and say, I'm proud to be your dad. And maybe he provided for you, maybe he didn't, maybe he was absent. Maybe he put food on the table and clothes on your back and provided an education and all those things. But it wasn't our experience to have, to walk through the days of our lives with a father who looks us in the unsaid, looks us in the eye and says, I'm proud of you. You're wonderful. You're amazing. I don't care what you do with your life. I'm proud of you. There's something deep inside a human being that needs to know a father who approves of us, who will put his hand on our shoulder and say, 
something that we feel affirmed in, something that says, yeah, I'm, I'm who I'm meant to be, and it's good to be that. You know, I don't know if you know, if any of you know the actor Burt Reynolds. He was in the, the movie Smoking the Bandit and then Boogie Nights. Uh, uh, <coughs> Boogie Nights must have been like 10 years ago or something. Um, but Burt Reynolds was a big Hollywood actor um, for a long time, especially through the 70s and 80s. Um, a bit of a womaniser, lots of beautiful actresses on his arm, liked a good drink, liked his bourbon, and been known to throw the odd punch or two. <laughs> And so he's this rough, tough guy with loads of money, beautiful women. You know, every guy wants to be Burt Reynolds and every woman wants to be with Burt Reynolds kind of thing. And he was asked a question a couple of times in an interview. People say, you know, Burt, you're this rough, tough guy. Um, what, tell us, what's the secret? What makes a man? And he thought for a moment and, and he, he looked up at the interviewer in the, in the camera and he said... You know, in the, in the deep south of America, we have a saying, you're not a, you're not a man until your father says you are. And then he, he said this. He said, my father never told me, and that has always been a problem. And this rough, tough, womanizing, hard-fighting drinker was just a little boy trying to find out what it meant to be a man because his dad never told him. And there's something in every human being that needs a man who will say to, to you, you're a man, you're a beautiful princess. And, and just confirm the desires of our hearts to be something and be someone. To give us that sense of significance. And God comes to us not just as a father in some theological abstract sense away up there in the sky but up close and personal to be a father to us who puts his hand on our shoulder and looks us in the eye and says, you're a man. You're a beautiful woman. I'm proud of you. And that's what he's been doing with me over these last 11 years. Speaking to that little boy in my heart who needs that affirmation. But before I came to that place where I began to experience that, I want to share something that happened to me. And I think it's critical for all of us if we want to know God has been that kind of father to us. In the book of Malachi, chapter 4, the prophet says, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. And that's been quite a significant piece of scripture for me about turning the hearts of children to their fathers and the hearts of fathers to their children. And I want to speak about where the Lord brought me to a place where I could begin to understand and, and actually open my heart to Him as a father. Not just as God, not just as the master, but actually allow Him to be a father to me, allow Him to father me. You know, I went to... Toronto in 2005 to a month-long leaders' school of ministry. And part of that month was a week with James and Denise Jordan from New Zealand. They're now kind of like, I guess, my bosses uh, in this ministry. But James spoke about being in, in the USA uh, as part of, of Jack Winter's ministry. And he wanted to learn how to pray. You know, he, would, he looked at Peter going up on the roof and fought, Falling asleep and falling into a trance. 
But it says that he prayed for so long that he became hungry. And James thought, well, how long does it take to become hungry while you're praying? You've just had breakfast. And then he looked at, is it Elijah, I think, sitting on the, the mountain and that the King Ahab sends 50 soldiers to bring him to him. He kills them all. I think one escapes and goes back and tells the king what Elijah's done. He sends another 50 soldiers and lightning comes and kills them. And then he sends another 50 how long did that take for Elijah to be sitting there while these 50 soldiers came, then went, then came, then went, then came? And that's a long time. And so James was wanting to learn how to pray like this. And so on Saturday mornings, he would go to this little chapel in the ministry grounds. Saturday after Saturday, he would go back again and again. And each time he would just learn to find God's presence and stay there. Sometimes speaking, sometimes silent. But just learning to extend that time in God's presence. And he said one, day, one Saturday morning he was walking up and down in this little chapel when the Lord spoke to him. Asked him a question out of the blue. Five words. But it stopped him in his track. In his tracks rather. And he couldn't come up with an answer. And when he, when he asked James this question, James knew exactly what he was asking because God speaks your personal language. You know, so many of us don't recognise the voice of God because we think it just sounds like me. You know, I, know, I know you guys have, have done hearing the voice of God and all that. And it's just learning that what's bubbling up is very often God. But because it sounds like your voice and your thoughts, we often ignore it. And so James is saying, he speaks our personal language. And so when he asked this question, James knew exactly what was being asked. And he's spinning trying to come up with an answer. Because the Lord stopped him in his tracks when he said, James, whose son are you? He didn't ask James, James, who's your father? Because he could have said, well, my father's Bruce Jordan. And he knew the Lord was saying to him, James, who have you been a son to? Who have you acted like a son towards? Well, he knew he hadn't been a, a son towards his dad because he and his dad spent their whole life fighting and arguing. And when he was about 10 years old, he just shut his dad off from his life. And so he's sharing this story of this happening to him. And as he's sitting there, as he's standing there talking, I'm sitting in, in the front row. And I feel like one of those, you know, those insects in someone's collection that's pinned to the, the board. I felt pinned to my seat because... He's asking me the same question. Suddenly the Lord is saying to me, John, whose son are you? And I, as I'm thinking about what, what can I say, I don't know what to say. Um, I had a, a memory. And I remember it quite clear. My dad's sitting in an armchair. And I'm standing at just a little bit more than an arm's length away from him. And he's, he's saying, come here. He's, he's got my clothes. He's wanting to get me dressed. And I'm defying him. I'm saying, no, I'm not coming staying here and he was getting really frustrated and he flicked his belt out at me and the buckle just caught me on the thigh wasn't wasn't sore I didn't cry or anything but something in my heart just began to close down began to cut him out of of being a father to me you know I'd, I'd somehow I'd gotten it into my head that 
he blamed me for being sick because it happened round about the time of my birth. So therefore it must have been my fault. And, it, and so my dad knew that and he blamed me. All of that kind of stuff going around in my, my little heart. And this just seemed to confirm that he hated me. This flicking out of his belt. And so I just closed my heart. Somehow I had it in my heart. I wasn't wanted. I was resented. Somehow I felt that because my dad was unable to father me properly, I thought he didn't want to. And so he rejected me and and everything was just my fault. And what I heard in my heart was, you're not wanted. Now that caused my whole life to to, to strive after acceptance, to to try and fit in. And, you know, if it was with a, a, a crowd of tough guys, I'd have to try and be the toughest and all that kind of stuff. You know? If it was about fashion and style, then I had to be the most fashionable, the most, all just striving after this acceptance. The problem is that as a little boy, as little, as little children that we've been, we don't have the emotional capacity to understand. Our parents sometimes can't give us what we need. Not because they don't want to, they're just incapable. Even those parents who are, who are cruel, it's because something's twisted in them because of what's been done to them and it all comes out wrong it comes out violently it comes out abusively it comes out angrily and I didn't understand my dad wanted to give me what I needed but he wasn't able to I mean physically he's not able to because of his illness but emotionally he's at 20 you know at 21 22 23 years old he's locked in this world he's trapped where he He can't physically do anything. He shakes. He can't see anything. He loses the power of speech. He's very difficult speech to understand. He's not capable of giving me what I need because of what's happened to him. But I didn't understand that because little kids are just focused on them. I remember my my friend used to say when he was about three years old, he thought when he went to sleep at night and closed his eyes, the whole world just froze and stopped. And it all started moving again when he woke up in the morning. <laughs> and it's like that's how self-focused and self-centered little kids are. They don't have a concept of of the world around and, and what's happening in it. But I grew up not understanding that, and I couldn't share anything with my dad. I, he was just lying in bed. I brushed his teeth. I gave him a drink. I lit his cigarette from him, and, and I felt as though he gave me nothing. I longed for him to love me, but he wasn't able to. He couldn't give me what I wanted and needed from him. So I just closed my heart. I thought, that's not a source of love to me. So I'm just closing my heart to it. And so James Jordan is telling his story in Toronto while I'm getting this memory and picture and everything. And I stopped hearing him telling the story because God is saying to me, so John, whose son are you? Well, I knew I couldn't say Gus MacDonald because... He just showed me when I began to close my heart to him and stop being a son to him. You know, when you read the Gospels, you see what Jesus' heart is towards his, his Father. You know, I delight to do your will, he says. I only do the things I see my Father doing. I only speak the words my Father has taught me. And I'm, I'm listening to this going on around me. I'm, I'm hearing what's going on inside me and realise I don't have that kind of attitude to my mum and dad. 
You know, I, I wanted to be like Jesus. I wanted to be a man of God. But, but I'm sitting in Toronto realizing I'm nothing like Jesus. I never delighted to do anyone's will. Never mind my mum and dad's. You know, even when I went to this, the shop for, for, for groceries, in Scotland we say the messages, but, but we, would go, we would go for the groceries and I would, I would steal some of the, 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 the change to buy stuff for myself. And I'd stuff my face with it before I got home. <laughs> Fresh cream apple turnovers were my favourite. <laughs> they, they were six old pens, two and a half new pens they were back then. That's showing you how long ago it is back in the 1970s so I didn't delight in doing any tasks even the simplest ones like going, going to the store and yet Jesus only does what his father says and so I couldn't say that Gus MacDonald had been a son to him because it wasn't true and I'm, I'm kind of looking through my life for someone had been a son to you know perhaps a pastor or an uncle or or tutor at college or and not, but none of those people you know I remembered Lots of guys who had been kind to me had shown love and kindness to me to some degree, but but really it was in vain because I didn't receive that from them. I took stuff from them, I took knowledge, I took time and everything else, but I didn't receive anything in my heart from them. You know, those people that had loved me had been speaking to a closed heart. People I'd been mentored by, well, my heart was close to them. I just wanted their information. I just wanted their input, but not anything else and I realised I'd never been a son to anyone I didn't know what it was like to be a son because I had lived so independently believing that I was the only one I could rely on can't rely on anyone else, just me and I realised the truth was I've never been a son to anyone That was I'd never thought about that before I'd never thought about that in my life before about being a son what it meant to be a son to delight to do someone's will, to to offer to do things without being asked. You know, I'd, I remember the times when I, I used to shout at my mum when I was a, a teenager, like, you know, I never asked to be born. I never asked you to have me. The times I, I rebelled against her and the way she did things at home. You know, I, I, I would go out on a Friday night I started work when I was 16. Um, my first wage was £24.10 a week. <laughs> but, and I remember I would go out on a Friday night and sometimes I wouldn't come home till Sunday or Monday. And I wouldn't tell her where I'd been or where I was. I never realised what I was doing to her. Just cutting her out of my heart the way I'd cut my dad out. Shutting her off and, and saying... You don't have any involvement in my life. I left home when I was 17. And I never realised that when I was cutting my mum and dad out of my heart, you know, I still knew them, I still related to them, but they were no longer, they weren't a source of love for me, they weren't an input of nourishment and nurture for me. And I didn't realise that when I cut them out of my heart like that, I lost the ability to be a son to anyone. So all of those men who mentored me, who, who tutored me, who looked after me, I was incapable of being a son to them because I'd already closed my heart to my biological mum and dad. But as I sat there in that room in Toronto, what I didn't realise was, and 
father began to show me when I did that, I lost the ability to have a relationship with God as a father. Oh, I could relate to Jesus the Master and Holy Spirit the, the one of power, but actually to relate to God the Father, that was impossible because to do that I had to be a son to him. And I'd stopped being a son to anyone when I was a, a boy. You know, when I became a Christian, people said, you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You know, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. All those little Christian sayings that I, I, I now detest, but never mind. <laughs> I do, you know, things like, you know, let go and let God. What does that mean? We come up with all these crazy sayings that actually mean nothing when you analyse them. Anyway, that's, that. let's not, let, don't let me go on a rant. <laughs> but, you know, Jesus is Lord of all. Even if I disagree with him, he is always right. You know, sometimes I think, well, you know, Lord, why don't you look at it from my point of view and, and, and kind of like go along with my thoughts? You know, Lord, why don't you see it from my perspective and be a little bit more tolerant of what I want? But the truth is, he's Lord, and I can argue as long as I like, but he'll always win because he's always right. <laughs> And it's me who has to change and accommodate his ways, not the other way around. He won't stop being Lord to have relationship with me. I have to accept him as Lord to have relationship with him. And we talk about, I, I asked Jesus into my heart, I invited Jesus into my life. But we didn't do any of that. What happened was we accepted his invitation to come into his life. That's what it means to be in Christ. And he won't change his life to accommodate us in it. The Spirit is in the process of changing us so that we can go deeper into His life. And when we relate to Jesus, we relate to Him as, as He is, as the head that we spoke about yesterday, or, or as the Lord and Saviour. And it's the same way when we come to God the Father. We, we come to Him as He is, not, not as we want Him to be, but He is Father. He is the instigator, the initiator, and the, the one who sustains life. That's the definition of a father. That's who he is by nature. That's what makes him father. It's not something he chose. It's not a, something he does at the weekend. It is the very essence of his being. He's the initiator of everything that exists. He's the one who upholds everything that exists. And if we want to have a relationship with this God who is a father, that's the way we need to relate to him. I think it must break his heart when we only think of him as the master. Even thinking of God as creator, that's not who he is, that's just something he did. He created for six days and then he stopped. That's what he did, but who he is is father. And so if we want to relate to God as a father, uh, if we want to have a relationship with God, then we need to come to him and allow him to be a father to us. And that means allowing ourselves to be sons to someone. And that's difficult because for many of us, our experience of, being, of having a dad has not been a positive experience. For others, it's been a mixed experience, some good times, some bad times. And Jesus was known as the son of an imperfect man, wasn't he? He allowed himself to be known as the son of David. And he's saying to me there in Toronto, he's saying, John, if, 
If you want that, look at Jesus. Jesus was the son to an imperfect man. David was an adulterer, a liar, a murderer. And yet Jesus allows himself to be known as his son. I'm not asking you to do anything Jesus hasn't done himself. And so he was saying to me, you know, John, whose son are you? You've been asking me for years to, to make you a man of God. You've been saying to me, you want to be a man of God. And it's true. I remember when I had, I became a believer in November 1985. And that New Year's Eve, I went to a, a, a watch night service. And there was a guy preaching there and I was just like, that's what I, that's what I need to do. That's what I'm called to do. And I, I said to my wife, God wants me to be a minister. And re she really freaked me out because she just looked at me and said, yeah, I know. And then started listening to the preacher again. I was like, what? <laughs> I was really freaked out. I was only a Christian a month. <laughs> you know, it's true. I, did, I wanted to be a man of God. I wanted to be used by God. And this is what he said to me. It blew me away. He said, well, John, all of my men of God are someone's son. And I realised, you know, as you look through the scriptures, it's true. All of the, the prophets and everyone else, they're known by whose son they are aren't they? Jesus was known by whose son he, he was. You know, he was the son of man, he was the son of God, most high, he was the son of David. Jesus was known as someone's son. And he said, if you want to be a man of God, all of my men of God are someone's son. Whose son are you, John? And I'm sitting there, pain and anger and and wanted to get up and punch James Jordan <laughs> for opening up this can of worms. <laughs> I should have made you all hold hands so that you couldn't get up and punch me, but never mind. Too late for that now. Um, but the truth was I'd cut every father figure out of my life. I, I was that classic orphan living, just me, all about me. And in my heart, I had never been a son to anyone from about three or four years old. And James Jordan's standing there saying, you know, if you, if you want to relate to God as a father, you need to have the heart of a son to him. You need to have the heart of a son in you. That's why God gives us his Holy Spirit. You know, we focus so much on, on 1 Corinthians uh, 14 and 12, the spiritual gifts. But actually, there's so much more about the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. You know, he's the spirit of sonship. You know, he, he comes upon Jesus at his baptism, confirming him in his sonship. The Spirit comes upon him and the voice says, this is my son. You know, it's like Jesus has been cloaked from above. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 that Jesus is declared to be the Son of God with power through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit in Galatians 4 causes us to cry, Abba. In Galatians 4 again, Paul says he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Romans chapter 8 tells us that those who are led by the spirit are sons of God. It tells us again in Romans 8 that he is the spirit of sonship. I spoke to someone who, who reads the Chinese Bible and they said that verse in Romans 8.15 says, You have not received the heart of a slave, but the heart of a son. Romans 5 tells us the Spirit pours his love into our hearts. And the Lord began to, to show me that 
If I don't have the heart of a son to my mum and dad, my biological parents, then I don't have the heart of a son at all. And I read in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus, they come back to the temple to find the 12 year old Jesus asking questions of the priests and the scribes. And they said, son we were so worried, where have you been? He said, why are you worried? Didn't you not know I had to be in my father's house? And the scripture says that they did not understand what he was saying. And he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. Even Jesus lived as a son to someone in obedience, under their authority and covering. I mean, he was obedient to Mary and Joseph. And it was that obedience that caused him to grow into the man of God that we see in the Gospels. It wasn't because he was God. You know, Hebrews tells us he was made like us in every single way. Jesus could sin, but he didn't. If he couldn't sin, then he wasn't like us in every way. If he couldn't sin, why did the devil tempt him? But he didn't. He overcame that temptation. Like Adam failed to overcome the temptation, Jesus succeeded in overcoming it. And that was because he lived as a son to Joseph and Mary and also to his father in heaven. And I realise at this point, as, as, as this is all happening, that my life is in a balance here. You know, I wanted to be a man of God, but, but, if I want to be a man, but if I'm going to be a man of God, I need to be someone's son. I need to subject myself to a fallible human being. I need to take the, the risk that someone can have control of my life. I have a great aversion to control. <laughs> I hate it. I don't know if that was just an excuse for being rebellious and independent. But, but I was scared of it. I was scared of having someone have that authority over me. John, can I come? Can I come in? Is that is that alright? Just ask uh -huh. a quick question. Yep. I mean, talked about talked about sonship and what what I don't quite understand is like there's scripture that says, um, "Don't call anyone on earth father except your heavenly father." Um, so. Perhaps, could you clarify a little bit? That's talking about a rel religious authority. Okay, but but then but then as well as as well, um, you said Jesus allows himself to be called um, son of David. I, I don't understand, like, because he wasn't his he wasn't his like dad. Do you know what I mean? And, and that was just something that was ascribed to. Like, but yet, but he still lived as a son. He he allowed people to ascribe that title to him, okay. that honorarium, if you like, to him, and so he lived with that heart. Of sonship, yeah. That that's what I'm getting at. Is the heart that's in him, not necessarily a direct relationship, but the heart that was in him, and that's manifested in the way he lived with Mary and Joseph as a son to them. Does that help? Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Good. Cool. And so, I began that whole process of of saying, well, what does that mean? How do I how do I get that heart of a son back? How, how, do you, how does that get restored, God? You know? And so I began to, to work through the process that we spoke about yesterday in, in forgiveness and letting go of all the rubbish. Letting go of blaming my mum and dad for, for messing my life up. Because actually a lot of the mess my life got into was because of what I did, not because of what they did. You know? 
and I'd done the, the whole forgiveness process before, but I never really thought of it as a heart thing. It was just something that had to be done. It was a Christian discipline. And so this was huge. You know, lying in those chairs in Toronto and just pouring it all out and letting God touch my heart with compassion for my mum and dad. All the offences that, that came to mind from grandparents and uncles and stuff. And realising that, that there were things I thought I'd let, go, I'd let go of that were still causing me pain in my heart. As I said yesterday, I, I discovered that compassion is the real key to that forgiveness. That's the real key to it. And so I kind of changed from that whole thing of trying to forgive and just saying, God, I need your help. I actually don't want to forgive because there's something in me that, that just wants to stay in a place of holding a grudge and, and being angry. And, and so unless you change my heart, I'm never going to get out of that. And that's what he's been doing all these years, changing my heart. But I realised as well in that place in Toronto, if you lose something, where will you find it again? What happens to something if you lose it? Well, most of the time it's not actually moved. We've just left it somewhere and forgotten where it is. <laughs> like me with my keys, my wife goes nuts. It's like, um... You get, your, you get your keys, John. Uh, I think they're in my jacket pocket. <laughs> like, you get yours, we can just use yours. Because <laughs> I don't know where my keys are. <laughs> Does it get Stevie? buried, you know, like under stuff? You know, like, it can do, Stevie, yeah. yeah. Like you can pile stuff on top of it. Yeah, yeah definitely, mate. You can't see it no more. You disconnect yeah. because of the other stuff that's... Definitely, yeah, that's good. That's a good picture, yeah. It is. Yep. Yeah, you can pile all sorts of stuff on top. Definitely. Yeah. You know when you're saying we're talking about forgiveness, I thought it was really good. But um, when it comes to like forgiving yourself, that's like really hard. Mm. Like, what would you say about that? So maybe, like, so so maybe you need to learn to have compassion for yourself, <laughs> and not give yourself such a hard time for some of the silly things you've done in life. That's harder. Yeah. Uh huh. It is. So. The only way that can happen is if he begins to change your heart and allow you to be kind to yourself. And that, that's, that's one of the things I've been learning over the years, Rose, is to be kind to myself. You know, um, Things like, I know this is departing a little bit, but let's, we'll, we'll go with it. You know, so you do stuff and you, you down yourself like, you, like that, Stevie. You, you pile stuff on top, you know, and because you, you're down on yourself. And you're like, oh, you're an idiot. You know, why do you keep doing that? And and it's just like you harden yourself to, to cope with it. Or, again, back to that, you know, you down yourself, you're like, oh, you're an idiot. Why do you keep making the same mistakes and, and beat yourself up? And, and so over the years, he's just been showing me to be kinder to myself. Because he's not beating me up. He's not giving me a hard time. He's not piling loads of stuff on me. You know, Jesus said, uh, to the Pharisees you know you lay heavy burdens on, upon people and you don't lift a finger to help them but then he says in Matthew 11 come to me you who are weary and heavy laden heavy burdened with those things that have been laid upon you and I will give you rest and what he's saying is come into that place where 
you begin to see and experience my compassion and let me impart some of that to you for yourself, for others. And so you can start to take some of that stuff that you've buried yourself under, the blame, the shame, all of that stuff. And I, I wish it could happen overnight, but it doesn't. It is a process. But I've just been learning over the years to be kinder to myself in so many different ways. You know? So it's the same, it's the same principle, Rosie. Have comp- learn, learn compassion. Allow him to impart compassion to your heart. Not just for other people that have hurt you or offended you, but to yourself. You know, we so often forget about that. That Jesus said, love your neighbour as you love yourself. Yeah. I think most of us have lived like that. Most of us have lived without actually liking and being me. You know. And we we hold up you know, we've got the face on. We've got our game faces on and all that when we're in public. But actually when you go home and it's just you lying putting your head on your pillow, it can be a lonely place. Because there's no one to kid on or, or pretend to anymore. It's just you and him. You know? But but his compassion changes your heart. Not just for others, but for yourself. Let him do it. Let him, let, let him bring that compassion to your heart for you. And learn not to beat yourself up. And so, yeah... When we lose something, we've either piled stuff on top of it and buried it under a, a load of rubbish, and that's why we can't find it, or we've just forgotten where we put it. But if we remember where it is, we'll find it exactly where we left it. And that's what he began to show me. John, you lost your heart of a son in relationship with your mum and dad. And you'll find it again in that place where you left it where you left it behind. And I realised that what the Lord was saying was for me to get back the heart of a son was in relationship with my mum and dad. Now my dad was dead so that wasn't possible to, to physically do. But he was saying that's where you left it John, that's where you lost it, that's where you find it again. Thank you for listening to the Adestiny Podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.